The following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. We are going to look at a question that I received uh, recently and as actually also many years ago uh, in the scriptures. I just want to... Uh, Acknowledge that I'm substituting here for Brother James Widgen, who is away ministering to his family in Virginia. And uh, I hope he won't mind me saying so. Uh, his mom is ailing and he wants to spend time with her, so you might continue to pray for, for her as well. All right, am I seeing people live online now? All right, good. Welcome to those of you watching online. Uh, our title this morning, as I stand in for Brother James, is not going to be in the Minor Prophets. Uh, we're not going to be in Amos. He's going he's gonna to carry on that study when uh, he returns to this pulpit. Uh, but the question that I had uh, received had to do with the idea of, the, of a license to sin. And my title is No License to Sin. No License to Sin. The Christian does not have freedom to sin. Genuine believers know this, of course. This uh, the attitude uh, of, of having a license to sin or that it's acceptable or excusable or permissible for a Christian to go on living a life of sin is just preposterous. It's inexcusable. Uh, it's, it's ridiculous, as one of our brothers would say. Uh, very uh, f- fond of saying those for that phrase. But This may be hard for somebody to understand who has some connection to the Christian faith, say, uh, or knows about it, a non-Christian person, or particularly people who believe that you must do good works in order to be saved. Uh, They would say, well, if, if you can be saved and then you're forgiven of all your sins, past, present, and future, what stops you from just going on and living like the devil and... You get to heaven and everything's fine and dandy and you've lived a life like a terrible person. They say that is a false view of the doctrine of salvation. You must do good works in order to merit God's salvation and be in heaven. But for the believer in Christ, it's not really hard for us to understand salvation by grace through faith and then a life that matches that. It's true that forgiveness uh, that Christ offers extends to all of our sins, past, through the present, into the future. All Christians' sins have been forgiven in Christ. That is legally, that is how we are justified. They're not held against us any longer. God does not, and that's what forgiveness is, by the way. Forgiveness is not holding against somebody something they've done against you. And that's a very important attitude for us to have as, as Christian people. That God has forgiven us, we ought to also forgive others. And that starts with a heart that is disposed toward forgiveness toward others. Now, uh, those sins then that God forgives are not a ground for eternal retribution because Christ has paid those sins for us. In his own body, on the cross, he bore our sins. He bore our iniquities and took them upon himself and took their punishment for us on our behalf, in our place. This doesn't mean, however, see, on the other hand, so all of our sins are forgiven past, present, and future. 
legally were acquitted. We have a relationship with God. We're brought into his family. But that doesn't mean that sin is irrelevant in our relationship with God. Some people go to that extent and say, it doesn't matter what I do. I'm forgiven everything. God can't be angry at me because I'm in Christ and Christ has taken all those sins. But listen, friends, sin does great damage to our life and our present relationship to God. For the true believer, it cannot cut that relationship off, of course, but it can strain it tremendously. Somebody who lives in a pattern of sin indicates that they have not known the grace of God in truth. That simple fact that somebody can make a false profession, that simple fact solves a lot of the tension for those who criticize the evangelical or fundamental, as they call it, viewpoint. We have to recognize that self-deception is a possibility. Somebody can deceive themselves and say, look, I walked the aisle, I made a profession, I, I was at the revival meeting, blah, blah, blah. But that may be all it is, is just empty rhetoric. And if, it's no, if there's no transformation, there's been no transformation. We acknowledge that there then are people who claim to be Christians, but are in fact not. Now, more detail. What I'm going to do is I'm going to deal with the objection itself that is levied against the Christian faith. And then I'm going to give you a bunch of reasons why there is no license to sin. We'll see how far we get this morning uh, in this goal. The main objection to quote-unquote fundamentalism or evangelicalism from, say, a Catholic perspective, and I'm not saying fundamentalism in some kind of technical way, I'm just saying as they view us as people who are fundamentalists or evangelicals or probably better, I would say, Protestants would be the best way of addressing this. Let me read this quote. For many fundamentalists and evangelicals, it makes no difference as far as salvation is concerned how you live or end your life. I want you to be critical in your thinking here of this statement, okay? You can announce that you've accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, and so as long as you really believe it, you're set. From that point on, there is nothing you can do, no sin you can commit, no matter how heinous, that will forfeit your salvation. You can't undo your salvation even if you wanted to. Take a look, the writer says here, at Wilson Ewan, the author of a booklet called There Is Therefore Now No Condemnation. He writes that the person who places his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his blood shed at Calvary is eternally secure. He can never lose his salvation. No personal breaking of God's or man's laws or commandments can nullify that status. Now, you you heard some true things there, right? You heard some false things there, too. Okay, this is uh, something that you'll find on the website catholic.com. Okay, that's their objection. That's what, this is part of their argument as to why they do not believe in justification by faith alone. Faith alone cannot be enough for salvation, they argue. Now, there are several wrong parts that make this explanation uh, a false caricature. First of all, Remember the phrase, it makes no difference as far as salvation is concerned, how you live or end your life? I just read that. That is entirely false. Biblical Christianity teaches clearly that the grace of God that saves is a grace that transforms and purifies. 
Okay, so the grace of God, when it comes to your life, transforms you and purifies you. How you live or how you end your life is evidence of whether or not you're truly born again. How you live or end your life is not how you earn salvation. It's how you evidence salvation. You get the difference? Very important difference. Now, it is biblical to say that you must do good works. I mean, God has ordained them for you from the foundation of the world, has he not? Ephesians 2.10, these things are ordained for us, foreordained for us. So it's biblical to say you must do good works. We cannot shy away from that. Christians must be people who are full of good works. In fact, Titus tells us that, that God has redeemed us as special people for himself, peculiar people who are zealous for good works, not lazy about good works. But it is false to say you must do good works in order to obtain merit with God. You must do good works, yes. But it's not the case that you must do good works to earn merit with God. Now, the second item that is false in that objection that we read is this. When, when, they, when uh, they wrote, you can announce that you've accepted Jesus as your personal Savior. An announcement like that is well and good, but it's not the complete picture of the gospel. You never see the language in the New Testament like, I accepted Jesus. Just do a, just do a text search on the Bible and tell me if you ever find that. It's a common evangelical phrase, but you don't find it. Okay? You see things like, repent and believe the gospel, or believe that I am He, or confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and you'll be saved, those are a little more substantive than I accepted Jesus into my heart. Okay, That's, That statement is much less accurate, vague. It's so vague that it has no connotation of following Jesus or becoming a disciple. Bottom line is that someone who accepts may not be legitimate. So the Catholic.com argument against our view is an argument actually against a free grace view of salvation that says profess when you're five, live however you're going to live the rest of your life, but you're still secure eternally. When that profession is obviously false. Okay, That's the danger of, of things that the devil can use even good things to deceive us and think that we are, well, it doesn't even have to be the devil, friends, our own sinful hearts. We want to live the way we want to live and we want to have fire insurance at the end and those two things can be combined in a a profession of I accepted the Lord or I walked the aisle or whatever. I'm, I'm a good person. That's not legitimate. Now, he also, or she, or they wrote, from that point on, there is nothing that you can do. But the fact is that the initial moment of salvation is just the beginning. So from that point on, you are a new creature in Christ. You are transformed. Okay, So they're, they're suggesting that our view is you just make a profession of words, you have knowledge, and nothing else. That's false. That's not our, that's not our position. Tim?
Uh, Mr. Ewan. Yes. I'm talking about the first paragraph of the quotation that was the criticism of fundamentalists and evangelicals. And they use Ewan's book to bolster their criticism of us. And like I said, there are some true things they said there. Uh, and there are some false things that they said there or false uses of it. Now, I don't know all of Ewan's theology, but there are people who would say things like that who are just like us. And there are people who would say something like that who are just like uh, Zane Hodges or um, there's a guy named Wilkinson or Wilkins or something like that who are very staunch supporters and teachers of this free grace doctrine that salvation is so much by faith alone that it excludes repentance and seems to exclude a a transformation that occurs in the person's life. So they they can be uh, they could be validly criticizing Ewan's approach, depending on his particular details of his theology. Now, we also have to remember that doing sin is different than presumptuously and high handedly doing sin. Okay, you with me? All of us are weak and sinful, even when we're redeemed. And there's not a Catholic nor a Protestant nor anyone else who can say, I am free from sin. So the charge that you've got to be so perfect in order to earn salvation is entirely a useless and empty charge because no one would be able to earn their salvation. The, the demerit of sin is infinite and must be cleansed by Christ. So doing sin, things we fall into, we stumble, we sin, we all fall in many ways, James says, chapter 3. That's one thing. Doing sin high-handedly and saying, look, I can get away with it. I can do whatever I want. God will forgive me. You know, I don't have to live righteously. I can live to please the flesh. That high-handed sin is an activity of pagans and mere professors of the faith, not possessors of the faith. Doing sin constantly, on the one hand over here, is totally different than struggling against sin and living a pattern of righteousness. Aren't those things entirely different? You see those are very different. Having a knowledge of the truth, on the, on the one hand, is different than being transformed by the truth. Okay? So, that's my brief answer to their objection. But I'm going to go on and I'm going to give you a number of reasons why we have no license to sin. And I'm going to divide up this into three sections. Okay? The three sections are in the beginning of my Christian life, during my Christian life, and at the end of my Christian life, okay? There are reasons in each of those time frames why we must not think that we have a license to sin. So number one, well, let me put it this way. Roman numeral one, in the beginning of my Christian life. And then under that, I'm going to have four different arguments. There's no license to sin in the beginning of my Christian life because salvation begins with repentant faith. Repentance has to do with sin in general. All sin. The sin of rejecting Jesus, the sin of 
not acknowledging who he is, the sin of not worshiping God, the sin of not loving God above all else, the sin of trusting in yourself for salvation. By the way, I have these notes on the website if you want to grab a hold of them. They're there for you so you don't have to write down all the details. The sin of thinking or doing anything displeasing to God, the sin of self-autonomy. You repent of all of that when you come to Christ. You turn away from that. As repentant people, we have turned away from sin and we continue to take diligent steps to stay away from sin. We are, in effect, in, in changing our minds to from being willing participants to being at battle with sin in our lives. Uh, that's sin externally uh, in our actions, sin in our hearts and our attitudes, sin in our thoughts. That's probably the most difficult battle you will face in your mind, the battle against sin. So because salvation begins with repentant faith, we don't have a license to sin, and we know it. We know it. Secondly, there's no license to sin because Christ is Lord. Christ is Lord. The Christian confession is, let me quote this for you now, Jesus is Lord. Okay? I'm going to go to my... New Testament and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 3. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 12:3, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That Jesus is Lord phrase is at the foundation of our profession as believers. We're going to have a baptism later this morning. That's what the candidates for baptism are saying. Jesus is now my Lord and Savior, of course. But that's critical, a critical issue. Uh, Luke 2.11 says, the angel speaking to the disciples, there is born unto you this day in the city of David a Savior who is what? Christ the Lord. At the very beginning of his life. Philippians chapter 2, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that what? Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, And there are dozens of other verses, of course, that refer to Jesus as the Lord. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus preached peace to the people and and called them to acknowledge his the fact that he was Lord. Uh, Romans 6.23 tells us what the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our not Savior, Lord. Savior too, obviously. He, he holds both offices. The fact that he is Lord means we do not have a license to sin because he commands us to be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect, right? That's right. Um, 1 Peter 1.15, quoting the Old Testament, says, You must be holy, for I am holy. Okay, So you don't have a license to sin. Salvation begins with repentant faith. Christ is Lord. The gospel itself, this is my third point under Roman numeral number one. 
The gospel itself does not give you a license to sin. What did, what did Jesus tell people several times when he healed them? He said, go and sin no more. He didn't say go and it's okay to sin. You have a license to sin. You're all forgiven now. Don't worry about it. He said, sin no more. And then finally, under this heading, number four, you have been made new and therefore you do not have a license to sin. 2 Corinthians 5.17, you know that verse, don't you? We have been made new creatures in Christ. The old things have passed away. The new things have come. We're entirely brand, brand new. We're given a new nature that desires holiness. Our new nature hates sin. There's not a true believer that will say, Honestly in himself, I so love my sin, I'm just going to keep on doing it. Now, they recognize that their, their, their flesh has a tendency, a propensity, a desire to please itself. But that is not when you come down to the innermost I, like Romans 7. The things that I do, I don't want to do. There are two eyes there, and they're at battle with one another. This one here. Versus the, the righteous nature of Paul versus the, the nature that wants to continue in sin. And we're going to have that battle until we come to the end of our lives. That's why we sin. God, for some reason, has been pleased to make sanctification a process. I wish sanctification were a moment instead of a process many times. But God has his purposes for doing that. Salvation is at a moment. Sanctification is over a sequence of moments that make up the rest of our lives. Now, so we don't have a license to sin for all those reasons having to do with the beginning of our salvation. But we also don't have a license to sin because of reasons God gives that relate to our ongoing Christian life. There's no license to sin regarding our ongoing Christian life. This is Roman numeral two now. Because, first of all, we are called upon to be sin-confessing people. 1 John 1.9, right? In fact, that's one of the evidences of eternal life. Okay, Think with me about 1 John. John says in 5.13, I've written these things to you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you might know that you have eternal life. I've written these things that you might know. What things? All the things in chapters 1 through 5. And one of those things is, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. But if we say we have no sin, the verse before, or if we say we have not sinned, we're liars. So the mark of, a, of an unbeliever is, I don't have anything to worry about. I have no sin. No problem. The mark of a believer is, I do have sin and I confess that sin before Christ. We acknowledge God's view of our sin as true and we genuinely feel that God's view about our sin is correct. He's right. David said in Psalm 51 that he confessed so that it would be clear that God was righteous in his judgment. In other words, he did not plead innocent. He pled guilty. I'm guilty. You're right. I'm wrong. There's no question that I'm wrong and you're right, God. Okay, that's confession. Secondly, there's no license to sin under 
our ongoing Christian life heading here, because we have a conscience that is instructed by God's word and used by God's spirit to convict us of sin and of righteousness and of coming judgment. John 16, remember, the spirit's work is to convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. And that doesn't just happen at a moment of salvation. It goes on throughout our lives. See, remember feeling that deep conviction of sin recently when you have really blown it and you just feel the guilt weighing upon you for that? That's what that is. We cannot also claim a license to sin because thirdly, God preserves His people. Jude, verse 24, says, Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. God preserves us. He doesn't let us... In fact, if... If people go off into a lifestyle of sin very badly, what does God do to them sometimes? Takes them out. 1 Corinthians 11. Some of you are weak and sick because you've been mistreating the Lord's table. Some have even fallen asleep, meaning they've died because God has done that to them to restrain their sin. Uh, What number are we on? Uh, Number four under this heading. We don't have a license to sin because 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us that we've been saved to live for righteousness. 1 Peter 2.24 Speaking of Christ, who Himself bore our sins in His own body on the tree, what was the purpose of that? That we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. Then it goes back, speaking of Christ, by whose stripes you were healed. Okay, so we're called to be sin-confessing people. We have a conscience instructed by God. God preserves and sanctifies us. Fourthly, Christ died so that we would live for righteousness. That's why He came. That's why He died. Therefore, there's no license to sin. Okay? None whatsoever. The attitude that the objector at the beginning of our message here claims that we have We don't have even close to that attitude as true believers that we can just sin at will and not have to worry about it. Furthermore, I mentioned this earlier from Titus. In Titus 2.14, Christ has redeemed us not for bad works, but for good works. Titus 2.14, He gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself His own special people zealous for good works. Our time must be taken up with good works, not with evil works. By the way, when you fill up your time with good works, you have less time for bad works. (laughs) Just natural. There's nothing surprising about it. Christ gave Himself to redeem us a people for Himself. Um... Number six on our list, we have no license to sin because we are citizens of the coming kingdom. Citizens of the coming kingdom. Look at uh, Philippians 3.20. 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 Philippians 3.
Philippians 3.20, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a citizen of heaven, you shouldn't be living like trash. You know what I mean? You should be living for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20 uh, We are not only citizens, but we are ambassadors. Boy, as an ambassador, you have to have good conduct, right? You're representing another. And so... Because we are those things, we do not have a license to sin. Romans chapter 6 now. Let's park there for a moment. Romans chapter 6. And this chapter is remarkable because it is a lengthy answer to this very question that we're addressing this morning. The Bible says we have no license to sin because we are made into servants of righteousness, not servants of sin. This is an entire section devoted to the objection that Paul faced, which is the exact same objection that we face that our objectors made against us here as we quoted in the first part of our message. Paul does, does preach salvation by grace through faith alone based on the imputed righteousness of Christ. Okay, very clear. So people therefore charged him with the same accusation that we are dealing with today. They said, well, look, if you're saved by grace through faith, then what does it matter how you live after that? Well, look what Paul says. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin with this, with this perverted logic that grace may abound? You know, like the more you sin, the more grace you get. So live it up. It'll be more evidence of God's grace toward you. No, certainly not, he says. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. In this chapter, I found ten more statements or propositions that defend the idea that we have no license to sin. They prove the idea. Paul says in these verses we just read, we died to sin. We have no real desire for it. We're not living in that sphere anymore, which is this the sphere over here, the sphere on this hand of sin. We don't live in that sphere anymore. We've died to that and we've been brought into another sphere. You see, you have to understand this idea of realms or spheres or however you want to call it. We existed in Adam under sin, under the dominion of sin, and subject to death. That was our realm before. When you turned away from sin and became a believer, pictured in water baptism, activated in spirit baptism, as we'll talk about later this morning, you moved out of the realm of Adam into the realm of Christ. Out of the bondage of sin and into subjection to righteousness. Out of the subjection to death and into eternal life. Adam, sin, and death, Christ, life, 
and righteousness. Totally, you see how you're a totally different person when you become a believer? You've left that. That is all gone. Okay? That's why you don't live as the old man. He's over here. He's done and gone and crucified with Christ. Okay? Not still hanging on and living, but crucified with Christ. You are a new person. Yes, you have rags of that old nature that have come with you, but that does not change the fact that you're a brand new person subject to righteousness. We are not living in that old sphere anymore. We live a new life. We have been justified and thus freed from sin's claims on us, Paul goes on to say. We reckon ourselves to be dead to sin. We don't say it's okay to sin. We don't say we have a license to sin. We say reckoning ourselves dead to sin means I can't, that's not me anymore. I can't do that anymore. I am not that person anymore. In other words, we reckon ourselves to be dead to sin. Why do we reckon ourselves to be dead to sin? Because we are dead to sin. By the way, that's often a misunderstood area of Christian theology. Some people teach that you're not really dead to sin, but you've got to think it in order to become it. You reckon it to make it true. That's entirely backwards. You reckon it because it is true. In other words, God says, you line up your thinking with the truth now. Okay? It is true that every true believer is dead to sin. And you need to think of yourself that way. Okay? Don't think of yourself back in this realm over here. You're in the new realm now. We are commanded to not let sin reign in our mortal bodies. That's also in Romans 6. We're commanded not to present our bodies as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Instead, we are God's tools for righteousness now. Paul says in Romans 6.14, Sin shall not have dominion over you. By the way, all these statements that I'm saying here, I pulled right out of Romans 6. They're right there. Uh, Sin does not have dominion over you, for you're not under law, but under grace. You're free from the bondage of sin. Jesus said, He who sins... Commit sin as a slave of sin. Not us. We are not slaves of sin anymore. We've become slaves instead of righteousness for holiness. Sin's wages are death. We don't want anything to do with that. We flee from that. The fruit of sin is death. Uh, but the fruit of eternal of righteousness is eternal life. Okay? We want to show that fruit. God's gift is eternal life. All right. Now, Finally, Roman numeral three, we have no license to sin because of our future life. Three reasons under this heading, and we have to close quickly. There's no license to sin, first of all, because we don't want to be ashamed when Christ returns. 1 John 2, verse number 28. Let's go find that verse in our Bible. 1 John 2. And verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. You know, when the Lord Jesus comes, is he going to find faithfulness on the earth in matter regarding the matter of prayer? Luke 18. Is he going to find a bunch of people waiting expectantly for him like the parable of the servants who are ready? 
in Matthew 24 and 25? Are you going to be ready standing there waiting to open the door when the Lord returns? Or are you going to be off carousing somewhere, living in sin, saying, "Ah, I've got a license to sin. It doesn't matter. Christ will forgive me. How shameful. We don't want to be ashamed when Christ returns. Therefore, we don't have a license to sin. Secondly, in light of the second coming, Second Peter tells us, if you just go back a couple pages in your Bible, Second Peter 3, verse 11, he says, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? So, in the future of your Christian life, there's no license to sin because we don't want to be ashamed when He comes. And Peter says, look, how should we live given the fact that this judgment is coming upon the earth and that everything's going to be burned up. That's verse number 10. Everything will melt with a fervent heat. The earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Because of this, what kind of people should we be in holy conduct and godliness? Well, obviously, Peter is arguing that the future drives present conduct. Make sense? Yes. I mean, that's kind of the basic You think about what Paul says in Acts chapter 17. God commands all men everywhere to repent because he's appointed a day in which the man Christ Jesus will judge the living and the dead. You're going to face a judgment, one or the other, judgment seat of Christ or the great white throne. And so you don't have a license to sin. You might think you have a license to sin, but God revoked that license a long time ago. In fact, he never granted that license, did he? Yeah, let's put the, put the figure correctly. He never granted a license to sin. Not to Adam, not to Eve, not to any of their descendants. Okay, The only, the only writing against sin is a, the written law of God against it. Not for it. And then finally, in the future of my Christian life, there's no license to sin in that department because I will be judged as my as to my faithfulness to Christ while the christian sin the christian true christian sin as we've talked about today won't change god's decision you know at the last minute and say oh well you, you kind of didn't live quite right you know down into the lake of fire you go that sin that we do means that we have not lived as effectively for the lord as we could And although the sin at the judgment seat of Christ is not going to condemn us, it will invariably mean that we don't have as good a reward as what we would have. I don't know about you, but I have a deep concern about that judgment seat. Not always on the front of my mind, perhaps like it should be. But when I stop and think about it, When the Bible says we all will appear before the judgment seat of Christ, each one will give an account of himself to God. 2 Corinthians 5, Romans chapter 14. The works that you do, if they're wood, hay, and stubble, will be burned up. You'll be saved, yet so as through fire. But if you have gold gold and silver and precious stones as works, they will endure the testing fire of God and will result in reward. I'm hoping for that. More of that. More than less. I hope you are as well. That's why I could never say I have a license to sin. The only thing I can do is confess my sin and humbly acknowledge before God that I am a sinner still and that I need His grace and His mercy 
each and every day. Sin is not something we get away with or can do with impunity. Sin is something that the believer hates with all of his heart because it is what has caused a separation between him and his God. And even yet, as a believer in Christ, we have that relationship with God. But as I said, sin does strain that relationship. We have to acknowledge that, friends. It can't just go on and say, well, I can sin and it doesn't matter. No, all these reasons that we've given today are why we have no license to sin. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, thank you for these minutes that we've been able to spend together looking at the Word. Lord, I pray you'd cement this in our minds and help us to be able to take this and use it in our discussions with people who may have objections to the Christian faith because they don't understand what it really is. And Lord, by so doing, it would do a couple of things. Number one, it would help us to think more clearly and correctly about our Christian lives and the doctrine of salvation, but also it would help us to help others to think correctly about those things. No one should say, it doesn't matter how I live. The Bible makes very clear it does matter how we live and the evidence that it gives as to our salvation or not. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.